0: You're listening to How Do I Sponsor a Refugee, a podcast brought to you by MCC Saskatchewan. Welcome back to How Do I Sponsor a Refugee? This is episode number eight. My name is Mark Bigland-Pritchard and I'm the Migration and Resettlement Coordinator with Mennonite Central Committee, Saskatchewan. And this podcast is a product of Mennonite Central Committee, or MCC. MCC works with people from a wide range of religious, spiritual and ideological backgrounds, but we are a Christian organisation. The reasons for doing what we do are rooted in Jesus. So as this episode is going live at the time of year when we remember Jesus' birth, just a reminder that as an infant, Jesus was himself a refugee, as his parents fled with him to Egypt to escape Herod's soldiers.
1: My guest today is Brian Dick, who is my senior counterpart, I guess, with our sort of head office in Winnipeg, our Canadian head office in Winnipeg. So, welcome Brian.
2: Well, thanks very much Mark. It's good to talk to you and uh, be on your podcast.
1: Yeah. Um yeah, we should do this more often. Let's let's just start with, you know, how did you get into this whole refugee thing? Cuz you you've been at it for some years.
2: Well, yes, I've worked for Mennonite Central Committee uh, for about 16 or so years, uh, and the first bit of it was at MCC Manitoba, uh, where I was doing similar work to what you're doing, Mark, Mm -hmm. um, only in Manitoba. Um, And then in 2015, I moved to MCC Canada to coordinate all of our work in in, uh, Canada on refugee resettlement. Uh, so, yeah, about 16 years with MCC, but it goes back a little bit further than that. Back in the 90s, uh, my wife and I, Lynn Elbergen, were pastors of a small church in southern Manitoba. And it was the 90s, and um, the the former Yugoslavia was falling apart at the time, and we got a letter from MCC uh, in Winnipeg saying there's a need for people to sponsor refugees for churches. Right. and. We were at this small church that was feeling like, "Wow, who are we now?" Um, a lot of people are moving away; they're retiring and moving to the big city. Who are we? And we we brought this to the the people in the church. They had sponsored people from Vietnam back in the '80s, uh-huh. and so it wasn't a new idea to them. But they they heard about this and they said, "Wow, we can do this!" And so they sponsored two families from the former Yugoslavia. And it, it was a real shot in the arm for the church. They said, wow, we, have, we are called to do something really important. Mm-hmm. And about uh, 2015 or so, uh, we got together with some of those people that sponsored those people, including one of the families that now lives here in Winnipeg, doing quite well, um, who we sponsored. And it was a 20-year celebration of their time in Canada. And as we got talking, we said, well, there's this thing going on in Syria and People are looking for sponsors. And that family who we had sponsored 20 years ago right away said, yes, we're in. We're going to do it. And so we got together and we sponsored a family from Syria and continue to relate to them. So this is a program. This is something that gets into you. And it's something that you carry on and, mm-hmm. and bring to the next the next generation and that's that's one of the beauties of of being involved in refugee sponsorship it's something that you you pass on it it means a lot yeah. more when you do that yeah
1: yeah absolutely and it's so good when we hear of you know people who have come as refugees sponsoring other refugees mm-hmm. from a totally different culture yeah and, you know, yeah i mean so many people want to bring their own family and that's absolutely natural but mm-hmm. it's somehow extra special when when they want to bring somebody from, you know, a totally different country.
2: I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I mean that's mm-hmm. that's what it is.
1: We're gonna talk today a bit about, you know, where's everybody coming from? Who who hmm. are all these refugees and where are all these hot spots in the world? Forcing yep. people out of their, their homes and their livelihoods. But also who's receiving them? Yeah. So You've done a lot of statistics on this, Brian. Yeah. I mean, you, you've yeah you know, worked a lot with the the statistics that UNHCR put out. Yeah. So, you know, give us a bit of an overview, I guess, of sort of where the big issues are.
2: Sure. Well, I mean, it, displacement is is a huge and growing problem globally, and I am interested in numbers, and I always need to remind myself that it isn't just numbers; there are people behind these numbers. Mm-hmm. But since since if you look at 2010, there were about 30 million people displaced globally. At the end of last year, 2021, about a year ago, the numbers were close to 90 million. And so it's tripled in the last Mm -hmm. 10, 12 years. So it's huge. The thing that's important to note is that there are different types of displacement. And while the experience is similar, the solutions that we can provide and how people are affected by this depends on what kind of displacements there are. So I'm going to just try and take that apart a little bit first. Um, To begin with, about half of these people who are listed as displaced are internally displaced. And that means that they are in their country of citizenship or habitual residence and have not crossed an international boundary. So internally displaced. And in some ways, they're in the most dire situation because it's a little more difficult. It's can be more challenging to connect with them to support them, and there's no real mechanism or very few, if any, mechanisms to resettle them to a country like Canada. Yeah, there's so nothing that's a, under
1: international law that can help them.
2: Certainly, yeah. yeah. So that's about 51 million, um, at least at the at the end of uh, last year. Then another category is is. Uh, Palestinians under the United Nations Works and Relief Agency. And so that'd be Palestinians who are considered refugees in several areas, the, the West Bank, Gaza, Jordan, Syria, and Lebanon. And they are in a special category for a lot of complicated reasons. But they're also, if, if they are in those situations, for the most part, they also do not have access to resettlement for a lot of really complicated and political uh, reasons that, <laughs> that I don't know if we have time to, to go. I mean, maybe that's another show,
1: uh, maybe that's another show because I think yeah. it's, it's kind of important, but yeah,
2: yeah. So, another day, uh, and I'm not the, probably the best one to talk about that. Then there are people who are asylum seekers, and that's a growing category. There are about 5 million people who are seeking asylum. So they've gone to another country and they want to stay there. And so they've applied to people. Mm-hmm. And we have that in Canada. We have people who've come to Canada and say, I want to stay here. I am a, a refugee. And so c- countries like Canada have a process where they will look at their the person's case and say, yes, you meet the definition of refugee. And so we will give you a chance mm-hmm. to stay here.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, so that's a growing category, especially in Europe, but, but everywhere and i think it's a ca- growing category because there are just so many refugees globally who are in protracted situations yes. they're they're getting yeah. no solutions and so they're looking for their own solutions
1: yeah, so they move yeah 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 and i mean we call those people refugee claimants mm-hmm. in canada Yes. Um, asylum seekers
2: yeah i mean yeah, yeah. Um, refugee claimants is the is the canadian term um, globally you know the generic sort of term is asylum seeker then a new category is Venezuelans who have gone across the border, and that's that's a huge and growing problem as well. There's about four million Venezuelans who are outside of the country and are not considered refugees. And I'll talk a little bit about what that means. But they essentially haven't fled persecution, but the situation is dire enough in Venezuela that there's been a huge outflow of people, mostly mm-hmm. into neighboring countries. Yeah. Um, but about four million people are are. in in countries around the world who had come from venezuela so that's a big uh category as well
1: so they are primarily escaping from economic failure
2: yeah Um, yeah that's that's the big problem in in venezuela and while some of them probably uh, are fleeing persecution the economic situation there is is the main driver right Right. and then the final category is convention refugees and those are people who. Meet the official 1951 convention definition, which means they fled across an international boundary. Uh, they fled because of fear of race, because of their ethnicity, religion, political opinion, membership of a particular group, and things like that. They have a, a clear definition. And when they meet that clear definition, then we have an option or an opportunity to sponsor them to come to Canada as refugees. Mm-hmm. But that's about 21 million of this whole 90 million or so.
1: Yeah. Now, how about the Ukrainians?
2: Ukrainians are in a different category as well. I mean, they, they certainly meet the definition of refugee. And they are, for the most part, have fled across international, into Europe. Um, and uh, that's actually the situation with most refugees move just next door. They don't go across mm-hmm. around yeah. the world. They have gone next door. And because of their possibility of getting a visa in an EU state, in European Union states, they have a different sort of method of, of getting something, at least a temporary solution for theirs. Okay. And certainly we hope that a temporary solution, we always hope a temporary solution is going to be enough and then people yeah. can return yeah. home. But for now, they Ukrainians are, for the most part, have access to temporary solutions in the EU or here in Canada or the United States or a number of other places around the world.
1: I was actually hearing on the news that in Britain, some of the Ukrainians who arrived there earlier in the year are now homeless. Yeah. Uh, The arrangement was for six months of accommodation, uh, which could be renewed. And obviously, in some cases, it wasn't. Mm -hmm. So it's... It's kind of a worrying situation for those people, but it seems to me that things have worked a bit better for them here in Canada. I think certainly where we are in Saskatchewan, where we've got you know, a large and active and vibrant Ukrainian population already, who got onto it really, really quickly, and mm-hmm. you know, they know what they're doing. Yeah. Um, but I mean, is that, is that your the sense of what's happening in, in Winnipeg as well?
2: Oh, uh, yeah. And, and in terms of Canada, I think about 100,000 Ukrainians, a little maybe 110,000 have come to Canada. And they've had access similar to the EU, they've had access to temporary visas mm-hmm. so that they can access that. The government of Canada has provided a one time financial support for them. They provided some access to services that that permanent residents would normally get. And yeah, you're right. The Ukrainian community is is huge and strong, particularly in, here in Western Canada. And um, they have really stepped up. So we at Mennonite Central Committee have been involved somewhat in cr- Ukrainians fleeing to Canada, but it feels in many ways that there are Ukrainians uh, who uh, have been able to fill that gap. Um, I'm, certainly, I'm sure there are there are gaps that aren't met, but we've been busy with other things. And so that has not been something that we've branched out to in a significant way.
1: Yeah. I mean, all I've needed to do when I've had inquiries is, is basically pass them on to the Ukrainian-Canadian Congress office, mm. which is mm. actually very close to our office in Saskatchewan. Or to the Ukrainian Catholic Church, who are working closely with them, my sense is that things have worked. I mean, it's 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 never perfect, is it, when you're having to leave your home homeland because of being bombed? But it's probably as good as it could be, Mm, I think, for for most of those people. Mm, Yeah, but you know, I mean, I do wonder. Countries like Poland, which have taken in so many of them, um, how how are they doing there?
2: Yeah, I, I don't know. And and a lot of international NGOs have set up operations in there. The UNHCR is active there. I think I read this morning there are about 1.5 million uh, Ukrainians registered in Poland, uh, certainly the EU countries and, and Poland in particular. Uh, Germany too is, has, I think, probably about a million. They're the ones who have uh, had to get a lot of the support.
1: Okay, so we've talked through the numbers and the categories of displaced people. Which yep. countries are they coming out of? Sure. Which are the big ones?
2: Okay, well, I mean, the, if you look at the top five people, categories of countries of dis, who are sending people out or are displaced from, about two thirds of all people who are outside of their country as uh, displaced, come from those five different countries and mm-hmm. you may not be surprised that syria is number one they have been yeah. number one for a long yeah. time about 6.8 million syrians are outside of the country so
1: mostly one third of the population of syria is outside of syria yeah yeah
2: and not surprisingly they're in the neighboring countries turkey jordan lebanon lebanon is uh, probably carrying a a huge load i mean there are more yeah. syrians in turkey but i mean in terms of percentage of the population it's yeah, it's, it's
1: 1 million out of 5 million or so
2: yeah and and of course the the econ- the economy of of Lebanon is is yeah. really uh struggling right now yeah. i think about 40% of their gdp is from remittances so mm-hmm. people sending money in um so that gives you a sense of how how really yeah. dire it is uh, number two is Venezuela. That's a, a different sort of category, but 4.6 million Venezuelans are outside of the country. Yeah. And that that really um is a significant force in in South and Central America. And how how you respond to that is is um well, an ongoing challenge that the UNHCR and, and other agencies yeah. are are yeah. trying to do. Colombia is is doing significant things. They've provided, you know, temporary. Support for Venezuelans, the many there, and, and that's been significant. So that's a huge situation that isn't on most people's radar. Mm-hmm. Uh, then number three is is Afghanistan, which has always been, you know, since the, what, 1980s when the Soviets mm-hmm. invaded, there right. have been displacement there. And it's been significant. Uh, right now, 2.7 million are, are outside of the country. For many years, there were very few who were being resettled to countries like canada just there was very little interest in 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 that and there was of course hope that that well the the situation will get better because yeah. um, the the countries have invaded it and so it'll get it better <laughs> well it has not yeah so anyway uh <laughs> afghanistan is is uh, huge and um it's i think significant that more resettlement is happening from there because there's there was really a lapse. There, there should have yeah. been more resettlement yeah. of, of Afghans. Number four is, is South Sudan, uh, the newest country in the world. I think it still is. And a conflict that started shortly after the country was going and still continues to to fester. The, there's internal conflict between the, the ruling parties there and A lot of people have fled again to neighboring countries, Ethiopia, um, Mark, you remember we were in Ethiopia visiting a number of years ago. And, uh, so we saw a bit of that. Um, so Uganda, Ethiopia, um, to Sudan. Um, so that's another one. And then the, the, the fifth one is Myanmar, which is a country that has had conflict and people fleeing, uh, for a lot of t- a lot of years, from different ethnic groups, and mm-hmm. a lot have come to Canada, but in the last number of years, it's been primarily the Rohingya who have fled into Bangladesh. Um, it's a new displacement and terrible atrocities going on in the state where they primarily live, and many of them have fled to Bangladesh. Uh, cox bazaar is now the biggest refugee camp in the entire world um, because of that, and. Um, very few options for resettlement. The Bangladeshi government hasn't been interested in promoting that as an option because the fear that a lot of states have is that as they allow for resettlement, people will see their country as a gateway to the West, to to Western countries. And so they they discourage that Mm -hmm. sort of thing by shutting it down. There is some openness now to think about some resettlement but in in small numbers and um so that is the the so between those five that's about two-thirds
1: yeah so of those five mm-hmm. we bring a, a lot of syrians from mm-hmm. Lebanon, turkey jordan mm-hmm. egypt sometimes other places mm-hmm. we have been bringing more afghans mm-hmm. over this last year when there was a special program which unfortunately no longer is accessible to us or at least Mm -hmm. unlikely to be accessible to us yeah and south sudanese we bring Mm -hmm. some south sudanese Mm -hmm. but we've not really been able to help the venezuelans because you know what's their status yeah and we haven't really been able to help the hunger because what you were saying about the bangladeshi government's situation mm-hmm. although we mm-hmm. you know we have been able to bring some of the other burmese minorities the karachin yes. and, and the chin and the arawak
2: and some rohingya who have fled to say uh, malaysia or other places mm-hmm. in their uh, yeah. we have brought some rohingya yeah. but yeah. but yes and and you know with both of those groups venezuelans there may be some openness i think that Canada and the U.S. and others regional actors are looking at ways to engage more in Central and South America and displacement there. So so there may be some avenues opening up, but but it's hard to say. In terms of yeah. Myanmar, again, I mean, with this opening up of the Bangladeshi government saying, OK, resettlement is a possibility. There may be some opportunities, uh-huh. but it's hard to say. Yeah. And, and it, it's not going to be. As with always, resettlement is always just a small part of the solution. And we need to think about how we use it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we do end up bringing a lot of people from some other countries like Mm. Eritrea. Mm. Like Somalia, like the Democratic Republic of the Congo, I think they're mm. all in the top ten, aren't they? If they're not in the top five, but yeah, yeah, those those um, are
2: certainly significant uh, as well. And yeah, there's there are a lot of uh, countries in the in the in the Horn of Africa to the DRC region who have been displaced.
1: So there's a degree of unevenness there that is not that we as MCC can particularly address that, but it's something that that we need to be aware of. Where do people go?
2: Mm. Well, as I was talking about before, I mean, when when you think about where refugees go, almost always they're going next door. So if Mm -hmm. you look at the top host countries, you'll see that number one is Turkey, 3.8 million. And of course, that's next door to Syria. Colombia is next in terms of 1.8 million. And those are primarily Venezuelans. And Mm -hmm. so again, next door. Uh, Uganda is 1.5. And that again is next door to so many places, South Sudan, Ethiopia, Congo. And then uh, a surprise uh, is uh, Germany is number five. So a country that's not next door, but Mm -hmm. this speaks to how refugees are looking for their own solutions. And so those are people who have gone there, claimed asylum, and -hmm. then been approved as refugees. Mm-hmm. Germany's an outlier in in terms of major uh, countries that are hosting, generally, and you know it's 80-90% of refugees are next door.
1: And that has some advantages in that there's probably some cultural mm-hmm. similarities, but it has big, big disadvantages in that, you know, those tend to be poor countries that can afford a lot less than we can. Um, sure.
2: Yeah, that that is the challenge. I mean, you think of these. You look at I mean, Turkey is you know kind of a middle country, so it's, uh, in terms of uh, income. Colombia, same. But yeah, Uganda is not. Um, if you look at Kenya, um, another country that su- supports a lot of refugees. Um, uh, talked about Jordan and Lebanon. Um, yeah, they can't afford this. Mm-hmm. And and how how you provide that support is is a challenge. I mean, one of the things that we talk about in terms of the the role that resettlement plays is responsibility sharing. So countries Mm -hmm. like the US or Canada and and Australia and others are seen as, or they project that they are sharing the responsibility uh, of these. So -hmm. the goal is You take some of the more vulnerable, the higher needs cases out of those places, and you're sharing the burden. It has a long way to go to share the burden. Those other countries are still bearing the brunt, but that's one of the things we think about as we think about resettlement. How do we use this small tool in the most effective way?
1: You've talked a lot in the past with us about the numbers that UNHCR come up with for how many people need that resettlement to a third country, mm-hmm. which is—it's a very small proportion of of the total, isn't it? I mean, it's
2: sure you
1: know, a couple of percentage points at most.
2: Yeah, um, I mean, maybe two. Am and I, we're the not two...
1: even doing that.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I mean the you know the UNHCR every year in in june on world refugee day they put out their report in terms of their projected global resettlement needs for the coming mm-hmm. year and i think for this year for for the coming year 2023 they've projected around 2 million or so so mm-hmm. out of the 22 million who are refugees about you know 2 million they're saying that are in need of right. resettlement yes yeah. but i mean the numbers they get are 100,000. so it's you know it's it's really small and and a big factor to that is that the well, united states has always been a major player in global resettlement but in the last number of years that's fallen off significantly mm-hmm. and they're trying to come back but after the the system was not used for a while um it was it's been really hard to to build right. back
0: yeah <laughs>
1: There has been talk internationally, and I know you've been in co- involved in conferences about this, about what's called alternative pathways. Mm-hmm. You know, can we get people as refugees here, not just because they're refugees, but because of something else about them?
2: Well, I mean, initially they called it alternative pathways, but they decided to call it complementary pathways to emphasize that this is a complementary pathway to resettlement, which is what we, you know, Mm -hmm. that's the the thing we're all focused on. And there are a number of types of complementary pathways that have to do with who refugees are but also different types of, of models for resettlement. Mm-hmm. So, for example, there's um, there are education pathways. Uh, yeah, so World and, University Service. Yes, of, yeah. and, and certainly, yeah, World University Service of Canada is is a pioneer in that. They started in 79 on this, and that's uh, something that a lot of states have begun to pick up on. A- another thing is economic pathways. And again, Canada's piloting a program called the Economic Migration Pilot Project. Which uh, looks at skilled refugees, people who have skills, and can mm-hmm. meet the economic category of of immigration. So they have enough English or French, they have enough education, but they're refugees. And so mm-hmm. they're they're trying to match up employers yeah. in Canada to that. And that's a growing thing or interest around the world as well, a complementary pathway. Mm-hmm. And family reunification is another complementary pathway. And then there's other other categories where, Italy, for example, is uh, provided what's called a humanitarian corridor where they will go to places. They've done this in Jordan. They've done it in Ethiopia where they'll, they'll select people to come to Italy and then apply for asylum there. They don't have the infrastructure Canada has to do the selection over there. So they just bring them to Italy and, and do that. So that's another kind of complementary pathway. So there's a lot of new and exciting things that are being tried in terms of Providing solutions for refugees. And sponsorship, which we've been involved in since 1979 uh, as Mennonite Central Committee, is another complementary pathway that a number of states are looking at. Uh, the UK started a program a number of years ago, Ireland, Italy, the program I talked a little bit about, France, Germany, even Japan in, in small ways is looking at this, uh, Argentina, there, there are a number of states that have looked at what we've done over the years, over forty plus years, and said there's something to that, and maybe that can complement what we are doing here with our resettlement program. And so it's it's been exciting to see what we've done for so long, back in starting '79 and through the 1990s when I was a pastor in southern Manitoba to the de- present, where we have this engagement that has has brought in the the whole of society approach, which is mm-hmm. it's not just professionals are doing this, it's everyone in the community yeah. and that that gives it staying power. That has one of the strengths of what we do in Canada we involve a lot of people in the settlement and that makes it better.
1: Now a lot of the countries that have taken on this model, I sense there's more restriction on it than than canada has
0: mm-hmm.
1: i mean certainly i've you know i've learned a bit about the the british model which is mm. you know you have to provide the accommodation uh, ahead of time and there are people who are on a government list you know it's it's not people that you choose yourself yes it <clears throat> and it's two years rather than one year so that mm. that limits the number of people i think that can participate but it does mean that the, the resettlement maybe is is more effective for some of the more vulnerable people who really need that length of time Mm. so I'm curious about the way that that learning has worked in 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 other countries sort of do you, do you still sense a, a nervousness about the Canadian model in other countries
2: uh there is and I and I forgot to mention the United States which I was uh, for the last for a number of months I was a consultant to a, starting the, yeah. a program of sponsorship in in the U.S. Uh, there is some nervousness uh, maybe nervousness isn't the right word I I would say that there's an awareness that Canada is Canada, and Britain is Britain, and the United States is United States. And in each of those settings, you have a different structure that's set up to support people who have resettled uh, as refugees to them. And you have to tailor the situation to that. And that's, you mentioned the the British system, I'm I'm somewhat aware of that, that system as well. And it had to be changed. You couldn't just, you know, pick up what Canada is doing and bring it down mm-hmm. there. You had to oh, adapt sure. it to what sure. was there. Yeah. And yeah. and so that was it. But you also mentioned that at this point anyway, the situation mm-hmm. is that you cannot choose the refugee. It's kind of like our blended program where mm-hmm. you have a referral yeah. from the United Nations High Commission for Refugees office and you take that. And yeah. uh, so they, they don't have the option of naming or saying, I want specifically mm-hmm. this person at this point anyway. They're... And, that I think is where all states I'm aware of are starting. It's kind of like states generally don't want to give up that control. <laughs> they want to say, "Yeah, we choose who is." And ultimately, Canada does. I mean, they, you know, we we submit an application, but you know, a Canadian visa officer has the final say on yes. whether that person yeah. comes. Yeah. But I mean, th- there's some hesitation to that. That may change. It's hard to say. Uh, in the UK, for example. I remember initially when when the program started, the the British government said, OK, well, you can do this sponsorship, but that's not going to be in addition to what we do. We have this number of people. We're going to resettle a number mm-hmm. of Syrians yeah. over in the next number of years. Yeah. If you do one, we'll take one off of our list. And one of the people who I was talking to initially in that, in that sponsorship system, For some people, that was a deal breaker. And others said, well, one person in particular said, if we don't get to 5,000 or whatever the number was, we won't get to 5,001. So let's go there. Let's be a part of this and see where it goes. And now anyone that is sponsored is an addition to what the British Mm -hmm. government has committed. So there's hope that it will move. And and that, that was a debate that was happening in Canada. And the late 70s, you know, do we get involved? Are we taking over the government's job? And MCC said, we're not asking that question. We're asking, what can we do? And that has been part of our engagement over the years. We say, we're going to do what we can do. And we're going to work with the government uh, and see what what we can do more. And that's, that's uh, mm-hmm. I think, a, a strategy that served us well.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, forty years of, you know, sometimes difficult negotiations with oh, government, yes. but actually building that relationship and building that trust—they know that we can do the job.
2: Mm, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, no, it's not always which, been easy. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but <laughs> was there anything else that you wanted to to say, Brian? Well.
2: Yeah. <laughs> This this is such a, such an important program. Uh, our work at sponsorship, and so I, I'm I'm glad you're talking to people about how you get involved. I mean that the first question people mm-hmm. ask is how do I get involved, and who's going to walk alongside with me? And that's what MCC says: we'll be here for you. Mm-hmm. So that's an important thing. But I think that this has been such a, an important part of shaping who Canada is over the last. Forty okay. years. and and even going beyond that, uh, uh-huh. in the past, it's been a part of how immigrants are welcomed to Canada uh, in unofficial ways. And now it's been a part of of who we are as Canada. And so I think it's it's really important, and it's it's really exciting to see other places, other states look at that and say, that could be something that could work here and we'll look at what Canada has been doing. So I'm, I'm really, uh, I think this is such an important part of MCC. It's such an important part of Canada.
1: Well, that sounds like a a good point on which to, to finish the the discussion. Um, so in, in future programs, I mean, I think we're going to give, give this podcast a break over Christmas, but back in the new year, we'll do some interviews with people who have sponsored and talk about their experience. And I hope we can do some interviews with people who are in sponsorship or who have recently been in sponsorship as well. We obviously have to be quite sensitive to people's needs, to their situations, to what's happening with their family in their, their home country. So there are people I would love to to be able to interview that it would just not be appropriate. Yeah. But I think we'll find some who are appropriate. Oh, so we'll, yeah, I we'll think con- so. Continue with this in the new year, and but also I think we need to do some more programming around you know the root causes of, of mm. how people end up being refugees. You know what what is it that caused that violence in the first place?
2: Yeah, no, I agree, and that's that's a complicated and important uh, discussion, and and so uh, so complicated. But I mean that's what we talk a lot about. You know what are the root causes, and how do you deal with them? Because if you can keep people from being refugees. I mean, people sometimes ask, "What is my goal?" And I said, "I my goal is that there will not be more any yeah. more refugees."
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, thanks very much, Brian. Yeah. Um. So, Brian Dick is. What is your title, Brian? Are you?
2: My title is the National Migration and Resettlement Program Coordinator, which is a real mouthful. But um, basically, I uh, try and make sure that we're all going in the same direction.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and which. Most, mostly he does manage to hurt us. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks very much, Brian. Um, uh,
2: good to talk. Yeah.
0: How Do I Sponsor a Refugee is a podcast of Mennonite Central Committee, Saskatchewan. All speakers are responsible for their own comments. We are grateful to Erin Brophy and Fletcher Forehand for providing the music.